Dear listener to the podcast with no name. In this episode, we will continue looking at members of the 27 Club. Dear listener, just in case you missed our earlier episodes on members of the 27 Club, just let me explain that the 27 Club is a collection of musicians, artists, poets and actors who died at the age of 27. In this episode, the captain will lead us through the life and music of Kurt Cobain, lead singer, guitarist and songwriter of the seminal grunge group Nirvana. She will be joined this episode by Eddie, the ever-tardy Sid, Jamos and your very own princess. Over to you, Captain. All right, so part of the 27 Club is one of its most recent uh, inductees which is very, very sad, and we have Kurt Donald Cobain. Now, Kurt was born on the 20th of February 1967 and he died on the 5th of April 1994. He committed suicide by a gunshot to the head, um, really one of the only members that committed suicide. Most of the um, members were more misadventure drug overdose than actual self, self-affliction. Kurt was born in Aberdeen, Washington, and he had a fairly disruptive childhood with his parents divorcing and then he was living between his parents and their new partners. He never finished high school. He he left school two weeks before the actual graduation of of high school. During this time, he he witnessed lots of domestic violence um, against his his mother's with his mother's new partner and he also had periods of homelessness now um you know seattle at the time is or you know washington it's got fairly you know cold weather you would liken it to ireland almost it's sort of on you know the same sort of thing lots of rain it's certainly you know not california On his 14th birthday, he was given the choice between a bicycle or a guitar by his uncle and he chose the guitar. So I wonder what would have happened if he actually chose chose the bike. Um, He was hanging around with all of his mates and one of his mates was in a band called Melvins. That's uh, a guy called Buzz. And uh, they played around and this is where he met uh, Chris Novoselic who eventually he formed uh, Nirvana with. Um, and their drummer, of course, before Dave Grohl, was a guy called Jad Channing. And then they recorded an album on Sub Pop Records in 1989. And that album was called Bleach. It didn't really sell very well. Sub Pop was just a very small independent label, sort of uh, having lots of college radio and really small alternative independent. Now, this is also at the time, so 1989, this is still sort of hanging on the back of Guns N' Roses and the uh, glam rock sort of LA scene. We hadn't really, you know, grunge wasn't a thing at the moment that is that is yet to come. Um, so they ended up firing the drummer and that's when they found Dave Grohl. They went on to I, record... I never realised that Dave Grohl wasn't the original drummer. 
No, no, no. He was the, the Chad was just like a local guy, and um, wow. apparently Kurt wasn't really happy with him and the way he was doing things. So they fired him, and and that's where they found found Dave. And Dave was really, really young then. You know, he was sort of three or four years younger than the guys at at the time. So yeah, quite young. Oh, you've only got to look at the photos to see how young he was. <laughs> I've actually met Dave Grohl. Twice. Oh, that's yeah. what? Twice. But that's for another podcast. Um, so, of course, they went on to record Nevermind in 1991. Um, the bands that were coming out at that time of this Seattle scene were Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Mother Love Bone, Temple of the Dog, Pearl Jam. They were all sort of the same band. And one of my favourite bands, The Screaming Trees. So all of these bands were named the new sound of grunge. But if you actually think about the bands themselves, all those individual bands, they didn't particularly sound the same, but I think it was just the grungy guitar. And if you think of sort of there is elements in in all of those. Because of this, then Kurt quickly became the voice of Generation X. So all of this attention he garnered really played on in this, that he didn't want to be the representation of, of this generation. Um, he didn't want to be admired. He didn't want to be the, the rock star that everyone, um, you know, claimed that he, he, he was and, you know, the, that voice of the generation. In 1992, they were the biggest band in the world and every single person wanted a piece of him. Um, and particularly, particularly Kurt, not only the band, they were touring everywhere. You can't really mention Kurt without mentioning Courtney. Love her, hate her. What do you think? She's an interesting one and I just don't the know. underrated myself... as an actress, um, as a performer? I think she was really good. I liked Hole. Mm. Um, I just don't know. I've got mixed feelings about Courtney herself. Well, Courtney had a similar sort of upbringing. She actually spent a, some time in New Zealand, um, sort of going to school there. And so she you know, pretty much was on her own from the age of about 16, living and um, surviving by herself. And she spent a lot of time in Oregon, in Portland, Oregon, and, and in the music scene there. So... Kurt and Courtney first met in 1989 at, at a gig and then again in 1991 and then they were married in 1992 and seven months later their daughter Frances Bean was born. Michael Stipe from REM is her godfather. Where's so the Kurt bean come Mike, from? She looked like a bean on an ultrasound. Oh. They had, <laughs> so that became her middle name. So, of course, it was also said that Courtney was you know, doing heroin during the pregnancy. Certainly they, they were doing drugs together and that unfortunately was, you know, the start of the downfall. During Kurt's life he suffered from stomach complaints. They don't really particularly know what it was. It could have been like a type of Crohn's, but some sort of terrible pain that really afflicted him. And that's where he started, um, you know, delving into drugs because that was the only thing that could sort of get rid of the pain. And he really always had... I suppose, suicidal thoughts. Um, it's stated that his heroin addiction stopped the pain of all these things, but, of course, that came with its its own consequences. Um, now, at this stage, I think we need to mention Francis Farmer 
Does anyone know who Frances Farmer is? Yeah, she was a Hollywood actress. Um, didn't she end up getting shock therapy and stuff like that? Lobotomy. Maybe lobotomy, lobotomy. yes. Yeah. yeah. So she was, I think this is where Kurt sort of identified with her a little bit um, because not only had he read a book about her in his youth and sort of was quite interested just in her story because she did sort of suffer from depression and, and things like that as well, but she was also very outspoken about Hollywood and just, you know, I think she sort of called a spade a spade a little bit and, and we all know now, of course, how toxic the Hollywood culture is. And so, you know, I think that was her own demise because she um, then didn't really get any more roles and people really, uh, you know, committed her and then she ended up, you know, almost going crazy. You know, was she crazy before or was she crazy because of because of this? So, um, you know, I think Kurt really identified her with her and then, of course, as he found his own fame and how everyone, you know, wanted a piece of him, I think he sort of called out just how, you know, toxic and maybe false the the music industry was and certainly the media of the music industry. Um, it's also said that Courtney wore her, her wedding dress was actually a dress once owned by Frances Farmer. So whether that's true or not, I don't know. But also Frances Farmer was a native of Seattle. So once again, um, just that there's that connection. Now, there's also the song um, on in, in Utero about Frances Farmer, which is an amazing song. Um, and it just, it talks about being sad as well. So I think, you know, is that Kurt talking or is that him referencing Frances? And is it, is his daughter named Frances because of her? Apparently it's from someone from a band called the Vaselines, but oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. We'll skip forward to his, his death and how he entered into the, the 27 Club. So while on a tour break on the 1st of March 1994, he was in Germany, and this is where he was diagnosed with bronchitis and laryngitis, and he, he then flew to Rome the next day for treatment, and then Courtney joined him the following day. And that next morning, um, Courtney found him, you know, comatosed from a cocktail of champagne and rohypnol. So that's, uh, as they say, he date-raped himself. And, uh, well, so we've after all that, done was... that. <laughs> exactly. So um, after that he was in hospital for five days and, and then he returned back to um, America. Love has stated, Courtney has stated, that uh, this actually was his first suicide attempt. So whether once again that's true or not, um, yeah, I remember that quite clearly. Actually, when he was unconscious for five days or something, or mm, yeah, mm. So I, they made quite I a big thing have, of it. Don't they? Yeah, I still have the copy of the Who magazine um, and the article that was in there about um, you know reported that you know Kurt had you know attempted suicide or had a had a drug overdose. So on March 18th, Love had called the police informing them that Kurt was suicidal and he'd locked himself in a room with a gun. And the police came and defused the situation, but he claimed he was not suicidal but, in fact, hiding from Courtney. So I'm sure the Barneys that they had would have been uh, quite massive. So once again, whether that was, that was true or not. On the 25th of March, intervention was arranged by 10 of his friends 
And while he rebelled at first, um, he then actually agreed to go into a detox program, which he entered on 30th of March. The next night he went outside to have a cigarette and this is where he scaled the wall and escaped over the wall and then he made his way back to Seattle. He flew back to Seattle and actually sat next to Duff McKagan, who's the bass player of Guns N' Roses, who's also from Seattle. And this is where Duff actually said that he he looked well and looked really, really good. So, you know, whether whether he was after spending, you know, a couple of days in detox or or whether that's just maybe what he, he saw. So when Kurt was back in Seattle, he was seen around town for a few days. It is suggested that he also went to score some drugs but also went to actually buy a gun and of course you can get guns at the local sort of Walmart there um whether that's where he got it from so then Courtney was trying to get in touch with him and unfortunately you know couldn't so his body was discovered on the 8th of April um though his death is actually recorded as the 5th of April He had high levels of heroin and diazepam in his systems, but he had shot himself in the head as well. He did leave a suicide note. And so this is where, um, you know, like we were saying, other members, they didn't necessarily get around to making their final will and testament or any sort of, uh, you know, self-proclamation legacy um, because they it was by misadventure and they just sort of slipped away, whereas this... This letter was addressed to his childhood imaginary friend called Boda. And so you think back of sort of all the things that we know now about perhaps how tormented he was and how, uh, you know, the depression and how he perhaps used to escape in himself. Uh, You know, this was he, he perhaps had had enough and just thought of no other way of of escaping his own own demons. Thoughts. Well, let's just put it out there that Courtney killed him. Come on. Well, you know, there is another section on that. But, uh, yes, that is one of the conspiracy theories. You know, for, for what reason would Courtney have him killed? Unless there's Maybe. something that we just don't know about. One of my in-laws was a psychiatric nurse and he told me that people who suicide are usually at the absolute end of their wits and they do it because they know it is going to give them the relief that they need and it is the right decision. I mean, their reality and our reality may not be the same, but the person who is going to do it nine times out of ten is sure that they are doing the right thing and... um, I'm thinking that Kurt was possibly one of those people. Mm. Um, I also... To escape from Courtney? To escape from everything. And and he hated the fame. He hated everything that the fame brought with all the adulation and the attention and the relenting, relenting attention. But what I don't understand about Kurt is if he had such bad stomach troubles, why he didn't or why Courtney didn't make him investigate them further and find out what's going on and why he didn't even have 
or, or why he didn't seek even alternate treatments to give himself some relief. If he was in pain and discomfort all the time, imagine what that would do to you. But it was the 90s, so there was heroin. Mm. It's also acupuncture. Yes. (laughs) Well, needles. But um, Maybe that shotgun was an extreme form of acupuncture. Acupuncture. You said he was found, his death was the 8th of April, but he was dead since the 5th of April? Well, no, he was found on the 8th of April, but whatever, you know. So it's like three or four days he was lying there? Yes, yeah. So he would have been pretty ripe by by that stage. Yeah. Seattle, not Miami. Yeah, it's pretty cold climate, Seattle. Okay. So he was in a, he was in like an outhouse type thing. It was like a a room above a garage. Yeah. Yeah. It pretty damn cold in there. And it wasn't high summer. So. But still, you know. So it was still still crisp. You blow your head off, you're going to make a mess. Mm. Mm. So then there's the other conspiracy theory that uh, did Kurt actually write all the songs for Hole's debut album, Live Through This? And I'm a huge Hole fan. I've listened to, you know, that album many, 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 many times. And the more I listen to Nirvana, the more I listen to that, I can hear Kurt's voice, sentiment, writings in uh, in the lyrics. Well, was there any other songs that Hole brought out later than that? Like that, once Kurt was gone, did Courtney Love yes. make any more well, songs? No, they, they had that Malibu song, which is okay, but then I probably could have written that. And so, yeah. you know, this, this Malibu is kind of the conspiracy theory. It's kind of the most because commercial of their, their That's right. Hits. That's right. So really song. clever sort of. And if you look back at, um, you know, Kurt's sort of lyrics and stuff and then, and then compare them and look through the eyes of, you know, the lyrics in Hole's songs, I think, Kurt was actually quite in touch with, you know, the girl right movement that was going on at the time. You know, his one of his first girlfriends was Toby Vale from Bikini Kill. And so, you know, they were uh, like an East Coast right girl um, band. You know, he's, he wrote songs about raping, you know, Rape Me and um, Polly and all these sort of songs that are quite dark but have this sort of real woman as a victim type thing and and that's where whole song have a lot of that you know miss world and and so i think he was very in touch with sort of what was not only going on in the time and just the women's movement and just the the rise of sort of these women rock stars and the change but also um yeah i i tend to sort of believe that one did Courtney kill him? Maybe he was about to, you know, say that he did write them. And so maybe she did have him killed. Who no. knows? No, don't agree. No, nah, don't buy that one. So, um, of course, Nirvana toured Australia in uh, January 1992, performing at the very first big day out. Now, Nevermind was released in September 1991. So it's almost like, you know, Australia booked 
Sydney booked Nirvana right as they were peaking. And, um, you know, so we were really lucky to sort of get this new band in the, you know, the middle of um, summer. Um, I know we've spoken about this before on our previous podcast, but, of course, I was there. I saw Nirvana three times in Australia when they toured here. Um, And, yeah, incredible shows, even in that early stage of Nirvana, before they toured the world. They were very, very tight and they were an incredible band to to watch and I think really are the quintessential grunge band. Grunge to me is a, a, a noise as opposed to any particular type of music genre, so that's where lots of bands fit into grunge. And, uh, yeah, live, they are incredible. Incredible guitar player. Um, mm. Kurt was he also played left-handed? Quite a few of the 27 club members are left-handed, of course, Jimmy. Mm. Um, and Roots. then there's, yeah, there's an, another guy I can't quite recall his name at the minute. Well, somewhere. a significant number of creative people are left-handed. Dexter and Sinister, huh? Bargy's left-handed. So am I. <laughs> so, yeah. Really? yeah. Dave Alexander from the Stooges. Now, he's a member of the 27 Club. He passed away in 1975. He was left-handed. Um, so if we, we go back and we look at their albums, um, you know, really Nirvana were only around for five years. So it's quite a short time to release such a, an amazing catalogue of work. Of course, after um, he passed away, uh, Nirvana disbanded, you know. You can't replace, you can't go on. Um, mm. Did they make incredible music or is it just the fact that he passed away so young and no, it got they so much more airplay? They I mean, made, they they made as popular music. if he hadn't died? No. no so I, I used to subscribe to Sub Pop. Um, so I actually received... Um, like a copy of Bleach, you know, in 1990, so before they actually even, you know, had signed to Geffen and, and you know, what we know. So, no, and Bleach is one of my favourite albums because that type of noise music, it's really, you know, lots of feedback, lots of sound, distortion played on the guitar, incredible. So it's certainly, you know, to the wider community, you know, sure, everyone knows, you know, he's the guy that shot himself. But, uh, no, I think they made incredible music. And you notice the difference. Um, so Bleach, 1989, of course, never mind in 1991, and then in Utero in 1994. And you'll notice the difference. Now, Kurt always said he he actually hates Nevermind as as a produced album because it's it's overproduced. It's not how they sound. And, of course, um, you know, they signed to Geffen at the time was, the, you know, one of the biggest um, recording, you know, companies in the world, you know, David Geffen, um, and it was recorded, uh, it was produced by Butch Big. So, you know, really highly produced sort of album and, and Kurt never actually liked it. But you notice the difference when you then come to In Utero and, uh, you know, that was... I want to say Steve Albini, but it's not Steve Albini. I'll have to Google it. I've gone blank and it's on my iPad. Doesn't matter. It was somebody else. I've got to say. um, Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was somebody else. But um, the difference was, you know, that producer just literally walked into the recording studio and just pressed play and record and just recorded them 
um, doing their thing, playing. So, yeah, so it's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. And then that's, course, how, you, that's um, how you make your money, right? Just say, yeah. hey, press play and record. I'll be the pub. I'll come back yeah. later when you're done. Exactly. Good job. And then, of, then of course, um, they had their MTV Unplugged, which was um, actually recorded in November '93, so about six months before he died. But it was released in in 1994. And I don't know whether any of you guys have have seen it. Mm. Um, yeah, I watched incredible. it. Incredible. You know, yes. it's it's acoustic, of course. It's it's unplugged, and you realise just the talent and how raw his voice was. Um, very, very unique voice and such strength and power um, to be soft and and hard at, in the same song, and um, an incredible guitar player. You know, not you know, not only was he you know an electric guitar player, but he could play an acoustic guitar extraordinarily and um the way he song sung some of the songs which of course were covers um you know the man who sold the world i think that is uh, far better than the original oh no i can't say that but it is a it is a very very good cover um yeah he um um where did you sleep last night that one, Love, yeah. Lovely version of that at the yeah. unplugged. Maybe it's just me. I reckon I hear pain in his voice. Absolutely. That scream at the end at, at the is, un- is extraordinary. Through the unplugged thing, you hear pain in his voice. So yeah. whether it's emotional pain, whether it's physical pain, I don't know. But I'm, I reckon I'm hearing pain. Mm. And mm. him there in that cardigan, you just want to. You know, take him away the little from green the crowd. cardigan. His cardigan. Take him away yes. from the crowd and give him a cup of tea and say, "Look, what do you want? What do you need? We will do what we need to do for you." Because mm. mm. clearly, he didn't have what he wanted or needed. Mm. Yeah, but once again, I mean, would they have been as big if he hadn't killed himself? It just yes, be another they junkie they all, that, yeah. that faded no, away. No, 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 I don't think so. No. You see, because this is how the industry changed or at least, you know, the grunge movement changed because all of a sudden Nirvana were everywhere and so all these bands in Seattle suddenly got attention and every record company then wanted to have their own Nirvana, their own, and, you know, it, it just sort of spread from there. You've got bands like Stone Temple Pilots, Bush, and all these other sort of bands that people were looking for, Everclear. And so there's this whole sort of crossover of alternative music that suddenly became mainstream. And as a result, bands, you know, a lot of East Coast bands, college bands became really famous, um, you know, Sonic Youth, you know, the, the Pixies, ended up selling far more albums in the 90s even though they, um, they'd been around for many, many years before that because that it was mainstream and this alternative rock music was allowed to be played on the radio. So I don't think so and it'd be really interesting to see, you know, what would have happened and I think they would have continued continued on because I'm sure... You know, Chris was along for the ride and getting the money, and and Dave, Dave you know, was look, what, look what he ended up. Yeah, look what he ended up doing. You know, because he was already writing songs. Yeah, you know, yeah. Dave's um, the, a one of a kind. He's just incredible, yeah. and he's he's like but, the voice of the, the the century at the moment. He's yeah. just huge. 
But but the question is, I, I just what... don't see the, the grunge thing as anything outstanding. I'm not a fan oh. of the grunge thing. Mm. Mm. Oh, I love it. It's not, mm. it's not my thing. Mm. I, I'd yeah, rather I listen it. to Stevie Nicks. To be honest. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, okay. Come right. on, so we, no, Wow. We no. Know, we know <laughs> where you stand on this then. So, but he, I pose this question to you. What if, like, the bass player, Chris Novoselic, what if he passed away? What if they Get a when new bass threw, player. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, so was, it, is it, was it the person, you know, because Chris didn't really write any songs, you know, may have contributed here and there, but what if he had passed away? Would they have just got a... Yeah. Well, I don't know. The Foo Fighters have done pretty well without him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but exactly. he has done stuff with the Fooies. He yeah. comes in and out and yeah. does yeah, stuff absolutely. with them. Yeah. And that, but what, what gets me in watching clips of Nirvana, I get the giggles watching Chris because his head moves like he's in the 60s, like he's a Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so he's, funny. He's pretty funny and he's, he's, he's very hilarious. tall. He's a huge and he's got unit. his arms, arms right down here and so, yeah. So to put things into perspective. Have you guys seen the recent um, the Foo Fighters doing all the BGs? Oh, yeah. yeah. Have oh. you seen the Foo Fighters' latest How film clip where they're synchronised swimming? Yes. No, I haven't seen that. Oh. Yes, I did. <laughs> so funny. And Pat yeah. Smear at the end of it. <laughs> but, no, my whole point was... <sighs> If he hadn't shot himself, I don't think there would be so much hoo-ha about him. But was he at no. the heart of his he powers? He would have faded away. No. I don't think no. the Foo Fighters no. would be as big as they were if he hadn't but killed He was 27. Himself. Yeah, he, he was, was 27. 20, he was a kid. So what yeah. more could he do? It's, it's like this is just starting well, out. I know he was just starting out, but I'm just saying if he hadn't shot himself, I don't think he would have... Being you know? as well known or as popular as he is no, now. No, I don't think so. Death is Can a we great mute? extender of a career. Yeah, mute you. Ooh, hey. Sorry. Ooh. Anyway, I, I back think, to the seriousness. I think. Look, look, the cardigan industry just <laughs> took off on the basis <laughs> Kurt Cobain. What other rocker? Where's a cardigan? Yeah, well, I think yeah, that's his best, um, I think his, his major contribution cardigan. to music was the cardigan. I think so. No, no, no. Okay, <laughs> let, me, let me prove you wrong, all right? Okay. So Nevermind has sold over 30 million copies worldwide. Now, to put that into perspective. Because he blew his head off. <laughs> no, it's the same amount as Abbey Road, born in the USA. Brothers in Arms. And the sales before his death were still high, yeah, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so. Yes. You are wrong. I stand corrected then. Okay. So I've got a few, a few more bits and pieces here. I was going to um, say that they've sold something like 75 million records, well, 75 million albums in total. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's a tremendous amount. And and you know these this will continue. You know this will be, you know the Eagle greatest hits. This will be the Led Zeppelin. You know two, three, four. You know of the time, like the kids mm. of the future will look back at the at these albums. 
um, in, in the same way. Absolutely. And you've got to think that Jimi Hendrix did all that he did in only three or four years as well. Exactly. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And he changed things. Um, uh, Look at the Doors when we discussed Jim Morrison. They they did it all in five years. Yeah. Um, Mm. Also, uh, oh, damn. The Wiggles, they've done it all in 30 years. They have. They have. And we've got. Blue Wiggle doing his best Brian Jones and playing as many instruments as he can <laughs> in that time. Um, we, we've think... got to do a Wiggles episode. Oh, that's an idea. Um... Yeah. <laughs> Wake up, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kurt, I think, I think what Kurt... I would like to think that Kurt would have continued songwriting. His songwriting would have evolved and matured as he got older and then I think he would have taken early retirement and gone and lived his quiet private life over in Mm. Seattle somewhere, maybe become Mm. a vampire and learn to sparkle in the sunshine. Who knows? Mm. I think if you look at the career of, like, Chris Cornell, you know, and they, they were friends, you know, contemporaries and how... Oh, you know, Soundgarden were around recording, you know, albums before, but then sort of on, you know, the coattails. And, um, you know, Chris Cornell, obviously the same sort of afflictions. You know, he was a drug addict at age 12, came from, you know, a broken home, all of the, the same sort of traits that a lot of people have that suffer from depression and addiction throughout their life. And, you know, maybe... You know, he, the music is what potentially saved him, but eventually just became too too much for him. So it it could have ended up being either at age 27 or at age 53, I think he was, you know, when, when he took his own life. So, you know, maybe that could have been the same path as, as Kurt, but, you know, we'll, we'll never know. Yeah. Yeah. So some of my favourite Nirvana songs is Anorism and um, Lounge Act. Love that song. And um, another song called Very Ape. So have a listen to those and I think that's sort of a, a true indication of what the true sound of Nirvana is and each one of those songs is from each of their albums. Did you happen to see the the live stream which was done during the lockdown in 2020 of Post Malone doing Nirvana covers from his lounge room. No, but I've heard about it and I've heard it was tremendous. It's incredible. I watched it live and um, I obviously I know who Post Malone is and don't really like his that style of music, but he's an interesting guy with all the tattoos. You'd think he does different types of music. So then to, to hear him sing and play guitar, obviously there was a little bit of auto-tune on, but he could play guitar and, um, you know, I've since found out that he grew up listening to, you know, Nirvana and Guns N' Roses and all of that. So he can genuinely play guitar and knew all of these songs and it was just it blew my mind and I think I have a whole load more respect for Post Malone now because... I like his song, his circle song. I don't know any of them. Yeah, I do like his circle song, but 
the idea of him tattooing his own face in his spare time. Ah, oh, yeah, why not? Not for yeah. me. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, has anybody just incidentally been looking at Dave Grohl's Hanukkah sessions? For the no. eight nights of Hanukkah, he's been doing a cover of a Jewish musician. Look them up on YouTube. They are brilliant. He does Billy Joel. Each night it's someone different. Billy Joel, um, Barry Manilow, Kiss, with a mate. He, he and a mate do it. It's just they're brilliant. They're brilliant. And I showed Tom and I said, this is what you do when your um, kids are older and they're off doing their own thing. You've made enough money, you don't need to go to work and you've got time to kill and you don't need to prove anything to anybody. And they are great. Do yourself a favour. Okay. Yes, no Dave, I'm a big fan of Dave Grohl. He, he, done a, um, he did uh, Brian Johnson's YouTube channel um, not long ago where he met up, you know, you know Brian Johnson from ACDC, drives mm. around in a van, does this YouTube thing. He met up with Dave Grohl and he was discussing the early days of Nirvana, how they, they had the original van that they used to go to gigs in and he was talking about how they had like a sweaty T-shirt and they couldn't figure out what stunk so much in the van and it was like one of Kurt's T-shirts. <laughs> Stuck in the van and it just it decayed and and just rotted. Yeah. Well, that was um, Paul McDermott's. Paul McDermott's um, Doug Anthony All Stars trousers and suit and stuff. They just about rotted off him because mm. he just wore the same one, never washed them, all the rest of it. And that's why, it, it, as time went on, it would have different bits sewn up and pinned on and all the rest of it because it was slowly rotting off him and stank to high heaven. Apparently. Oh yeah. Oh. So Post Malone is currently 27. So thoughts and thoughts and prayers. Let's wrap him up in cotton wool. And unfortunately, Justin Bieber is 28. Huh? Oh, that is sad, isn't it? <laughs> Damn. So any more thoughts on Kurt Cobain? Yeah, we can't really talk about Kurt Cobain and Nirvana without talking about Nevermind and the Wang on the cover. And the gentleman, oh, yeah. Spencer Eldon, who was suing or trying to get money out of that because of, uh, he calls it child pornography. Well, he was happy to turn up for the 10th anniversary, the 15th anniversary, the 20th anniversary, the, you know, and, and do all of that. Uh, he's actually got Nevermind tattooed across his chest. So, you know, sing it to the judge. <laughs> I don't think uh, that's going to get you very far by saying yeah. that you were exploited. That was pretty Dave, sassy. Dave Grohl sort of said to the words to the effect of, oh, please. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like, oh, come on. Someone's whispered in his ear and well, he got, got into his ear and gone, money, 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 money. Well, we're all yeah. broke after COVID, aren't we? Jesus. The thing is that his yeah. wang hadn't, hadn't grown since that picture. <laughs> so yeah, that's what he was suing about, actually. <laughs> mm. You know, what? Could it have been something uh, in the, the chlorine, the pool? Over mm-hmm. to you. Shrinkage. Cold day in Seattle. Wish that happened with boobs. Anywho. <laughs> Any other thoughts? As with many, many other members of the 27 Club, you're just left wondering what might have been because you see this tremendous talent and it's gone so quickly and you don't. Yeah know what could have been because... Yeah, you wonder what could have been. Um, I have my own thoughts on what probably would have happened, but um, I come from a 
a position of not being a real fan of Nirvana. Who knows? Well, I think that you know? that's where I'm the opposite almost. You know, I was 17 years old when, you know, in 1991 and it was, you know, grunge and and all of that bands that whole scene um you know if you will it was incredible pretty intense sort of time and you know they they were the biggest band in the world they were incredible now of course I liked all sorts of different bands were but, they really you know, though yes they were they really were, were. they really the um, biggest band in the world yes the at the time DC yeah probably the biggest well, band in the world if you think about it, so um, Metallica had just maybe the Rolling Stones, the Black Album in 1991 as well, and you know that was that was pretty big. Um, Guns and Roses, who, who obviously know the Snake Black Album, and then of course Guns and Roses had released Use Your Illusion one and two. So most of the latter part of the 80s was dominated with Guns N' Roses and that sort of L.A. glam, you know. Air band. So, yeah. So it, there was, this, I suppose, a change, um, you know, a change of coming. But um, you know, certainly nobody expected it to come from Seattle and nobody expected it to, um, you know, least of all Kurt, for, for it to be him and, and that band. But, you know, they were that good. And they are still amazing, and I've been listening to them in the last couple of days. And I actually haven't listened to them properly for um, quite a number of years, actually. And they are amazing, and it has to be played very loud, um, particularly the Bleach album. And I love it. Yeah, I'll, I'll give them another crack. I haven't really listened to them that intensely, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm certainly worth exploring. Mm. Will nice. you listen to those three three songs, and that'll give you yeah, a really absolutely. good snapshot of. of there was the, very yeah. ape and aneurysm. What's it? Aneurysm and lounge act. Lounge act. I wrote them down. Yeah, yeah. Nineteen ninety one. I was listening to Triple J, and they. Well, the nineties. I was listening to Triple J, and they just loved Nirvana. Mm. Oh, mm. It was fantastic. Mm. And, um, yeah, no, I loved grunge and I really do love Nirvana. Mm. In fact, I've got a grunge playlist and it's one of Wonder Boy's favourite playlists to put on mm. when we're in the car. I think what had also changed is, you know, it was just, you know, through the 80s it was about massive record companies and these massive sort of bands and what grunge did is it introduced the alternative and the uh, independent record labels to be able to go mainstream and so all of a sudden you had all these little bands that you know maybe just put down you know a a demo or or something like that released a mini album but they were actually getting airplay outside of the sort of college radio thing and suddenly touring and going and seeing bands was an actual thing as well you could go you know, and see a huge band, but, you know, at the Phoenician Club or at the Annandale or, you know, as opposed to it being like an arena stadium sort of thing. And so I think it, the grunge as a movement, if you will, allowed a proper garage band to actually think that one day they could make it without having to 
you know, suddenly become this massive um, sellout, which a lot of people, you know, don't want to do. I He's the motorbike. I don't know if you hear can it. hear it. I remember a quote at the time where someone said that grunge was America finally understanding punk and finally finally getting what punk was about. I think, it, uh, you know, and, and what what is punk? You know, is punk music? Is punk a feeling? Is punk a, a notion? Um, is that, you can ask the same know, questions about grunge. Yeah, exactly. And so that's where... Is it just, which we've spoken about before, is it this next generation, Generation X, finding its voice, finding its feet, you know, turning its back on the sort of large corporation type thing and doing it, you hear the motorbike now, and doing it independently and doing it their own, you know. And so is that what grunge is? Um, you know, it's, I think it's just a change more than anything. It influenced a hell of a lot of people. But once again, I, I submit to you that I don't think it would have influenced as many people if he hadn't killed himself so young. I think it's just it mm. got so much attention and it, it became so well I think it would have faded away. But Well, that didn't happen. We'll never so, know. Sorry. That's that's the <laughs> that's the um that's the tragedy of it. I mean we'll never know. I mean I, I Totally get how talented the guy was. He was awesome, but yeah. not my thing. Oh well, I don't. I don't care. Difference of opinion. That's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you okay? You okay? Well, dear listener, that brings us to the end of our episode on Kurt Cobain. As I did at the end of our other episodes where we looked at members of the 27 Club, I am left wondering what could have been had tonight's member, Kurt Cobain, lived. If you would like to contact us, you can do so at podnoname at gmail.com or at at podnoname on Facebook. Until next time, dear listener, take care. A poor old Mike Nesmith died today. Yeah. Yeah. So who's left? Mickey. King of the, Mickey Dolans. Dolans. Mickey Dolans. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That's yeah, it. okay. The most attractive of the monkeys, Mickey Dolans. He was yeah. always the holdout for the uh, reunions and things, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah, he's, he was like the he ginger spice to, of um, the monkeys. Yeah. Or the, uh, the Kim Cattrall. Oh, I don't, don't even. Just like that. Oh, it's fucking terrible. Is it? I watched like oh, I watched <laughs> fucking ten minutes of it, and it was the worst. And then Angus was watching it as well, and he was like, "What's wrong with their faces?" Just, <laughs> <laughs> it was the worst. And then I managed another fifteen minutes, and I was like, "I've got to turn this off." It was wow. so bad. It was worse than the movies. Were you a fan of Sex and the City? <laughs> of course, of course. Oh, because I couldn't. Oh, stand Nicole it. loved it. Absolutely, mm, love I, sex stand city, I was late to the party because I wasn't like I was younger than what the age they were. Oh, so like everyone's younger than the age they are. <laughs> <laughs> um, excuse me, Paul just wrote, I'm going to be a scratching tonight. Sorry, guys, make Kurt and Amy proud. <laughs>
Sure. Let's <laughs> see if I can do that. <laughs> I don't know who Paul is. Yeah, well, oh, oh. I really thought he'd oh, be no. here. Who On time. are you? He's out there fighting crime. <laughs> he's, he's actually Batman. Courtney was doing uh, Black Ops with um, with Barjas. Oh man, yeah. Okay. Well, there we go. Um, it. We need to. We need to get operative. that out there. Yep. Mm. Yep. Okay. All right. Yeah. What about Bargy? Okay. Do you believe Bargy had anything to do with it? You'll find <laughs> that he can't tell us because then he'd have to shoot us. Gives us a chance to have wee breaks, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and we all need wee breaks. <laughs> yes, well, we're not getting any younger. Oh, wow. You've got so many famous people in your family. Oh, you know, we're top shelf, top shelf. Plus you've met Dave Grohl twice. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've met everyone. I've met Alexander McQueen. <clears throat> I've met Chrissy Hind. I've met <gasps> and Graham Stephen Garden. Fry. Graham Garden, I've met Boy George. I've like, yeah, because what, you know, YOLO. Yes. You just got to go up to them and go, hi, I'm from Australia. Oh my God. I love you. <laughs> That's all I did in London. It was great because they're everywhere. You've met wow. them or have they met you? Well, mm. you know, time will tell. I'm sure they go, remember that freak we met from Australia? Shit, fuck, she was fucked. <laughs> I, I hear she's doing a podcast now. That's right. <laughs> yeah. What a it's fucking called, loser. 